We're in 1 Samuel again. Welcome to everybody who's here. Welcome to all of you online. We're studying 1 Samuel. And our discussion has been so good, we have not been getting through the text. So it's, uh, you take it for what it's worth. If you, if you want to get through the book or if you want to have good discussion, we, it's hard to do both sometimes. So we're back into the, the, the text this morning. We're starting in chapter 14, last part of 14. I need a reader for that section, 47 to 52. Any volunteers? I know it's early and it's Sunday. All right. Shannon's got 47 to 52. Who's going to take 15, 1 through 9? Anybody got that? Oh, there's Janie, and there's a hand over here. Was that... Okay, Jamie, we'll take uh, 15, 10 to 16. And any other hands for the next section? We'll just keep reading as long as we've got people throwing hands up. There's Paul, got the 17 to 23. I'll tell you what, let's just do that for now. 17 to 23 will be the last text we'll read for now, and then we'll, we'll pick up on it later, and we'll see how far we get with this. Excellent. Let's, let's go. Over Israel, he fought against their enemies on every side. Moab, the Ammonites, Edom, the kings of Zobah, and the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he inflicted punishment on them. He fought valiantly and defeated the Amalekites, delivering Israel from the hands of those who had plundered them. Saul's sons were Jonathan, Ishvi, and Malkishua. The name of his older daughter was Merib, and that of the younger was Michael. His wife's name was Ahinaham, daughter of Ahimez. The name of the commander of Saul's army was Abner, son of Ner, and Ner was Saul's uncle. Saul's father Kish and Abner's father Ner were sons of Abiel. In the days of Saul, there was bitter war with the Philistines, and whenever Saul saw a mighty or brave man, he took him into his service.
was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. And he has gone around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you for the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, I have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord has said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak on. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Then, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted, uh, devoted the Am- Amalekites excuse me, to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great... Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from becoming king. So how was Saul doing as a king, according to the last part of the chapter 14? I kind of got mixed feelings about what I just heard. Was he doing well, Bruce? It's, it's a... Yeah. It's a subtlety, isn't it? There's definitely something missing in Saul's mind and in his heart. I think he had a good start. And, and this last part of chapter 14 is a testimony to his good start, militarily speaking. He came on strong. He fought against the enemies of Israel. But it does say, uh, chapter 14, verse 52, the war against the Philistines was severe all the days of Saul. And then there's a note in the last part of verse 52 It's kind of a fulfillment of what Samuel had said or what God had told Samuel to tell him about when you get a king. What was that? Did you catch it? What's that? He'll take your young men. And what's he going to do? He's going to put them in his service. I see a young man that's valiant. I'm going to take that guy, put him in my service. It's kind of uh, interesting that that was written in here after it was Prophetically said earlier, it's, it's coming to pass. Now, why in the world do you think, and this is, again, I'm, I shouldn't do this, but I'm asking for speculation. I just want us to think, why is his family so carefully outlined here? 
Do you wonder about that when you read those things? Why is there space in the scriptures for Saul's family? If there's ever a question about the authenticity of the scriptures, this kind of detail lends a note of trustworthiness. This is his family. These are the names of the people. And when you go back and you start researching your family history, I don't know if you've ever done that or not, and you start finding out, did anybody keep records and were they good records? Anybody ever watch that show, Finding Your Roots? That's a, that's a fascinating show. And it, it's interesting to me that so many people who are on there almost all the time, they're surprised. They're really fascinated and surprised by their lineage and the people in their background. And what we see here is a record of Saul's family carefully put down. So this testifies to the accuracy of the record. All right. Chapter 15, we start out this way. Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Did Saul listen to the words of the Lord? Did he hear the words of the Lord? He heard them. He chose not to. So I'm not going to do that. And later on, he, he tells us why he didn't listen to the words of the Lord. Did you catch that? He was afraid of the people. The people were the ones who wanted to keep the, the flocks and the herds and all of the wealth and all of the spoil. So that's what he did. We wonder, Marty, and I've been thinking about this, just trying to understand, listen and understand. You know, God gave them him so that, you know, he was, he was good looking Head and shoulders above the people, very popular. And is that, and and that's what you're talking about now. And if that worked against him, you know what I'm saying. Of course, the next one he chooses is just someone that's kind of simple, you know, kind of ruddy looking. This is as described to David. And I don't know. It just makes me think about that. And if you're really popular, you know, yeah, your people look upon you with favor. But then. How does that affect you doing what you're supposed to do? You know? right. and, and I'll be honest with you, this is the first time I'd really ever thought about it when you brought it up just now. I never really, whenever I'd read this before, I'd never really thought about that until just now. Well, it doesn't say it in the text. But it makes me wonder, at least, if God's trying to make a point with Israel, don't look on the outer flesh, the appearance it's not that. It's never that. Don't look on that. Look on what? What does God look on? He looks on the heart. Look on the heart. That's where the real issue is with each one of us. We can make appearances. We can look good. Or we might even look horrible. But the whole point of our value in God's eyes is the heart and our usefulness to him. Paul? Perfect illustration of poor leadership, and we have plenty of those illustrations today about leaders that will just do what's popular instead of what's right. So he felt, I think maybe that's what he, what happened to Saul. You know, maybe he was getting used to being popular, and he he let the people do what they wanted to do instead of commanding them to do what God had done. 
Right. So to me, there's that. And the other kind of illustration, and I hate to throw a rabbit out there so early in our class, but I think it also it shows right here, he, God says it himself, obedience is better than sacrifice. And so to me, it, it illustrates the point how important it is to worship the way it has been commanded to us to worship him. That's what's pleasing to him, not what we think is grand or spectacular or more interesting or entertaining or whatever, I, I would present this story and say, no, maybe we should do exactly what God commands. That's what's going to please him, if that's what we're trying to do in worship. It's an excellent point. And it goes to the previous point about looking on the heart, not on the outward appearance. This obedience, when, when we obey God, sometimes it takes us in a direction and it's not the direction the world would go because it's not flamboyant. It's not uh, wildly popular or entertaining, especially not entertaining. <clears throat> Excuse me. Remember, Saul was chosen, and then he was, God gave him a different spirit. And then he gave him a different spirit, like an evil spirit that they had to play, play the, the harp. And... I'm looking at, you know, he was very humble, but yet God gave him a different spirit. He prophesied, and then he, he had this evil spirit God gave him because he didn't listen. And I'm, I'm trying to follow that and, and, and see what is going on in his head, kind of like what you're doing now. Could you comment on that a little bit, maybe? About the spirits that God was giving him? There, there are things that I don't, fully understand, but I, I think it's kind of like this. Uh, maybe this happened to somebody in here, I don't know. Uh, your parents catch you smoking. You ever heard of a, of a mom or a dad, especially a dad, saying, alright, you want to smoke? Smoke. Smoke that whole pack right here. And, and what happens when you smoke that whole pack? You get sick and you decide, I don't want another cigarette in my life. It, it's kind of like that. Sometimes God gives us what we are leaning towards, what we're moving towards, just to kind of show us that this is where it is. This is what you want. This is what I'm going to give you. You can have this if you want it. If you want that more than you want me. You want your way more than you want my way. I'll let you go your way, and we'll see how that turns out. He's not being mean, and he's not being unfair or unjust. He's, he's essentially letting us have enough rope be careful what you ask for. You might get it. Even Garth Brooks knows to thank God for unanswered prayers. Have you not heard that song? <laughs> Sometimes we ask for things, and they're not the best things to have, and, and God knows that. But sometimes, even when he says no, we say, I don't care. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep pursuing that. I'm going to push for that. And that's, to me, kind of where Saul was. That's about the most insight I can give you on that. Where God give give you up to a reprobate mind in the New Testament. In other words, we don't want to listen to Him, so He lets us go our way. Exactly. Would that be what's going on here, or is that a different context? I believe it's the same thing. Romans chapter one, Paul mentions that, and he mentions it again when he writes to the church at Thessalonica. <clears throat> Excuse me, man. I apologize, but I promise I did not get congested on purpose. I think it was all that sawdust. I did a lot of sawing yesterday. Romans chapter 1, 
Uh, verse 21, and we're breaking into the middle of a thought here. Romans 1, 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Their foolish what? Foolish heart was darkened. God looks on the heart. He sees a dark heart. Professing to be wise, they became fools. You ever see that in the present day? All of the, uh, and I, I hate to frame it in these words, but all the programs, so many of the programs that espouse science come across as very anti-faith or anti-God. They never say science is wonderful because God has given it to us. Science is wonderful because it's the study of the world that God created. Just like David, when David wrote the 19th Psalm, he said, what about the heavens? The heavens declare, they tell us about the glory of God. And the firmament, that shows us his handiwork. This is, this is his doing, and when we look at these things, we see evidence for the greatness of God. This is one of the reasons I like to study things we call apologetics, because all you're doing is taking a look at what the Bible's pointing us out. David pointed us at the heavens. Take a look at the heavens, guys. That declares the glory. Wow, let's, let's look at these heavens for a while. Take a look at the, at the firmament, the, the planet, everything you see here, every animal, every being, every creature, that the water cycle, there's not a thing you see in the physical universe that doesn't point us to God. Everything points us to God and to his efficiency and his genius. Genius isn't even the, the right word to use, but what else is there besides genius? His total knowledge of how everything works. And he knows you. The 139th Psalm, David said God knew him when he was being knit in his mother's womb. And that's not unique of David. That's for every single one of us. God knew you when you were being knit inside your mom. He knew your days before they even took place. That's what the 139th Psalm said. He knows you personally in detail, specifically. And he loves you. And that's one of the great comforts that I find in God's love because he knows me and he still loves me. And it's not like I can, I can ever go to him in prayer and say, Lord, you know, this is what I've been thinking. And he goes, oh. I didn't know you were thinking that, Marty. That's awful. He already knows. So, so when we're, we're looking at this kind of thing about people who reject God and reject knowledge of God and reject righteousness, he's, he's going to see their heart and give them over to a, a, a reprobate. We haven't even got to that part yet. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm preaching too much. Billy? Right. Oh, thank you, sir. Oh, I got one of those. Appreciate it. <clears throat> and if you're a leader, what should you do? Lead. What was he doing with regard to the people? He was following. It's, 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 it's not, not easy to lead. If you like to be popular, like we were talking about a while ago, Paul was bringing up this idea of popularity. Uh, I'll bring this down in a practical application because one of the challenges of parenting is being willing to give up your popularity with your kids to do the right thing. You're going to teach them things and train them in ways. You're going to make them do things that they don't want to do. And if you're weak-minded and weak in heart, and if here's the thing, if you 
If you love yourself so much that you're not willing to love your kids enough to discipline them, and I'm not talking just about punishment. Punishment's part of discipline, but the whole thing of discipline is holding them to a rule, to a a reasonable uh, method of behaving. Yes, you hold them accountable on on their age level, and, and that's what you do. And why am I talking about that? Because that's a reflection of what we're seeing here. If Saul's heart was right, he would have said, wow, just, just like Samuel was telling him. Samuel was sent by God to anoint me to be king. What a responsibility. What a privilege I have to be the king. I need to lead God's people the way God wants me to lead them. And here's the thing. If I do that, he's going to bless me because that's the way God always works. Now, keep in mind, I don't know if, I don't know if Saul had a copy of the law <laughs> in his hip pocket that he could pull out and reference, he probably wasn't able to go home and Google everything he had questions about. Um, we, we live in a great age, do we not? When we can research any Bible question we want at, at any time. I saw a hand somewhere. Okay, Bob. So, if you remember when Saul was first selected as king, even after he was anointed, they went to find him. He was hiding in the baggage. Right. He didn't want the responsibility at the outset. You know, he took the leadership role when the fighting was done. But once the fighting's done, he doesn't want leadership. And so he was going to follow in and follow, you know, the, the crowd just so that he doesn't have to bear that mantle of responsibility. Exactly. It was the same when I was in service. I was doing great. I was doing my job. Then they made me a sergeant. If I'm a sergeant, then i got to be over people and tell them what to do. I don't want to do that. But I did it. <laughs> Anyway, in, in, in the New Testament, it talks about what kind of a spirit we've been given. Yes. And so we have to realize what we've been given. I think that might be the problem is we don't know. We, we learn. You know, I was just thinking about it. We can't go home and Google it. I'm sitting there thinking Saul couldn't go home and Google it. That just paints a... That just is, there's a thousand questions right there. Yeah. What kind of responsible does that make us? Because now we can, we have access to this information. What, you know, being more responsible, you know, the more we know, the more we know right and wrong, and we grow from the milk of the word to where we're at now. And, 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 and what kind of a spirit have we been given? Are we just kind of like Saul hiding in the baggage? Good comment, you know. Or are we really tuned in to what kind of a spirit we've been given and, and the information that we've been given in our duty. Like Jesus, <clears throat> it talked about in Romans the other day, Jesus sitting on the, on, on the side of God and lives to serve Him. He, here He has, He's done all this for us. And He's in heaven and He lives to serve God. But there's got to be a recognition that that's, that's the way it is. And that's a recognition that takes place by, by faith, which, which comes from the heart. John? In Scripture, there's, there's a lot of general commands to fulfill. But I, I think there's also passages where we see God being very specific. You know, knowing the ark, how to build it, quite specific. Here, quite specific. And it's nice to have general commands at times, but I think we should really take note of when God is specific. I don't. I mean, I know we say it's because he wanted to be popular. We're not exactly told why he didn't obey. It could have been that. Well, you kind of see the idea here. Well, I mean, I did what God asked in a general way. 
It wasn't very specific, though. I think there's a good message for us today. Is when God is specific, there's usually a good reason for that. Right, and there is. And we'll go back and look at it because there's a history why he's destroying the Amalekites. We can go back and take a look at that in a second. But I don't want us to leave Romans 1 and Thessalonians. These are two passages to talk about the, the very thing that's under discussion here. So back to Romans chapter 1, if you still got that, uh, verse 24. Well, wait a minute here. 22. Professing to be wise, they became fools. That's where we left off. And exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. What are you talking about? I'm talking about idolatrous images. You, you go back and you look at the images that people have created in the past to represent the God that they wanted to worship. It's images of... Man and part man, part beast, part man, part bird. It's all this stuff. And then he goes on to say, Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the women and burned in their desire one toward another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. And he, and he goes on from there. But what we're seeing is the same thing that's happening with Saul. He's deciding not to follow God. And so the spirits that come from God to him to, to keep him, not to keep him, but to satisfy his, his desire for the wrong way are, are doing just that. And God works the same way today. Whatever you want to pursue, God will allow you to pursue it. Think about the gift that that is. The creator of the universe allows you and me to disobey at our will, at our whim, and he doesn't strike us down with a bolt of lightning from heaven. He says, if that's what you want to do, you can do that. You need to know that's, that's not going to be good. That's why I put it in my word. That's why I sent my son so you could see in my son the way of thinking and living that, that you need to adopt. That's good for you. You get a car. You can't treat that car any way you want. You've got to take care of that car. There'll be little lights come up on your dashboard. What do we call some of those lights? Idiot lights. <laughs> Why? Because idiot, you need to change the oil. You don't have any oil in this car anymore. Well, it's... It's just oil. Right. What happens if you run your car without oil? What happens if you let the tread get too thin? What happens if you don't keep your tires aired up? I mean, all kinds of problems you come into if you don't care for just a car. What about your life? What about your life, Frank?
Yeah. I love that. <laughs> it's, I'm just waiting one of these days, that little girl in, in, uh, in Google Maps is going to go, Marty, I told you, turn left. <laughs> uh, I'm not going any farther with that, but yes. And Sam and Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned. He's acknowledged the fact that he has sinned. When? Who does he acknowledge? It's after the fact. <laughs> Way after the fact. But he says, I have sinned, transgressed the commandments of the Lord. And then in verse 25, says, Now therefore I pray unto thee that my sins be come and worship with me. And Saul said unto him, I will not return to thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. So he's condemning in his condition here, even though he asked for forgiveness. But at this time, the Lord's going to take the kingdom away from him, not away from him. But away from his son, Jonathan, who was going to be the heir of the kingdom, because at one time, the Lord told him, your kingdom will last forever. Right. As long as you obey. So Jonathan loses the kingship too. So it's just kind of progression of sin going here. I did this, lost the family, lost his family, just like over there in Romans, where the reprobate mind goes from here to here to here. He turned away and started worshiping creatures. You know, and said the creator. But... It's says to me that he asked him to come for forgiving and come and worship with him. And then Saul said, no, I won't. You know. Yes. That's because his, his heart was where it was. I saw a hand over here and then I saw, okay, Paul and then Bob. I, I think the scriptures are adamant about the fact that we're in a spiritual warfare. And that there are evil spirits out there that serve Satan. And that Satan himself is like a roaring lion, you know, searching for someone to devour so when we go, we look in James uh, 4, 7, it says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I think he's talking about drawing the power that we have is in obeying God and trying to stay close to him and resisting the devil. That's how we tap into the power of God that does things in the spiritual world to fight off as opposed to you remove yourself or you unplug yourself from this power source, now you're just fending for yourself because you're not tapping into God's power. So now the evil spirits are like, okay, we got a, we got a target here. He's, he, it's, it's not our power that repels evil spirits. It's the power of God. It's just up to us whether we're tapping into it or not. How much, how much power does one of these locomotives have? Do you see it out on the tracks and it's pulling a million coal cars or tanker cars or even more than that if you're the one sitting at the intersection waiting for it to get past. But they are pulling all kinds of weight. What if that engine had a mind of its own and said, I'm tired of being stuck between these two rails. That's a good looking field over there. I'm going to get off in that field. And How far would it go? And that's the way we are. We, we have a path that God gives us to travel. We have the, uh, the teachings and the training. And if we get away from that, we're, we're like that engine floundering in a field. Jamie? Oh, wait a minute, Bob. And then, well, ladies first, and, and if, if you would mind deferring to the lady. So in your train analogy, one thing to consider is that, yes, the train has a lot of power, but it doesn't have as much power as you would expect because 
the cargo that it's pulling is balanced and the path that it is on was laid in such a way that it doesn't have angles and sharp curves that just a little bit of oomph can get it moving and keep it moving. So it's, it's a good analogy, but to expand it further, the path was laid properly so that with a little bit of forward momentum, you can push or pull a lot of weight. Yeah, at least and, you can. And it's, and it's, you know, <laughs> so heavy that even a small bump in the road, you can flatten out pretty good. You just can't go crazy right. on that path. <laughs> I actually caught that one. <laughs> Bob? When we were back in Romans, I remember years ago I struggled with <coughs> these words. You know, God gave them over. You know, and I think, you know, why, why does he decide this person he's going to give over and this person he doesn't? And, and I finally came to realize that, you know, he gave them over is totally different to he instilled in them. Mm -hmm. Okay? Has nothing to do with God, you know, allowing, you know, making them, you know, have a depraved mind. He's allowing them. You, you said it, but I just wanted to expound upon that. He's allowing them to pursue the uh, goal of having a depraved mind. Because, you know, as, like you said, he's, he gives us that freedom of choice. He's laying that he Even back when, you know, he, you know, Pharaoh, you know, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God didn't sit down and make say, Pharaoh, you're going to fail. Right. It was the fact that, you know, Pharaoh felt he was superior to God. And God allowed him to have that part. Because it's it's a little bit different, but uh, let's say you, you've got a bow and arrow and you've got six arrows actually, and you keep shooting those arrows at a target, and five of them go right near the mark, but one always goes off to the left. It's the same one always goes off to the left. When you go to hunt, what are you gonna do with that one arrow that goes off to the left? You're going to leave it at the house. You might even destroy it because you don't want to pick it up by accident and shoot at something because that, that's just the way it's made. If, if there's a way to change it, then you could change it. But if not, it, it, it comes out of the quiver. That's the way it works. Let's, let's go back to, uh, I wanted to show you this passage in 2 Thessalonians 2 because this, this comes to bear on what we're talking about. It's the same idea, and, and this goes all through Scripture. It's not just chapter 15 of, uh, of 1 Samuel. But Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica. In chapter 2, he says this. <clears throat> Once again, breaking into a long thought. Verse 10. With all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. In order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. So here are people whose, their heart, their mindset, their bent is to do evil. They don't care about truth. They don't care about what's right. And so what does God do? He gives them over to, to a lie. That's what they want. That's the same basic thing he said in Romans. And it's what we see him doing in chapter 15 of, of 1 Samuel. God's always been the same. Just because he writes something in the New Testament doesn't mean that it's brand new. It, it may be something he's revealing to us specifically that he's always been doing. Just another character trait of himself. All right, Don? Samuel, I thought that was a good thought that he did 
confess his sins. And I'm one always asking for mercy a whole lot, so I like that. But uh, I did notice that Samuel said that he wasn't still going to go back with him, which if he loses Samuel's support, he'll probably lose his kingship. You know, he's not king. But I noticed that uh, as far as the earthly part goes, because I'm a firm believer that if you confess your sins, God is just to forgive you your sins. But on earth, we may, like we said, suffer consequences. So I did notice that in verse 30, he begins to plead with Samuel, please come back. I did sin. I, I sinned. Please come back with me, support me. And then Samuel went back with Saul. And so he kept his kingship and probably would have lost it. But I did notice that, that he did plead with him because he knew that, that there was going to be consequences on this earth if you continue to do that. It is sad, isn't it? You see that it's, it's almost pitiful. But what did Samuel do when God told him um, pull us all out? He left them Samuel more. Well, he grieved. He grieved. How long? All night. All night. He was upset about this, and so he knows this is God's plan, and it's God's plan not because God originally wanted it this way, but because this is the way Saul is setting it up to be. And so now here's here's where we are, and it's Saul being pitiful uh, in his his eventual repentance. But you see this now later on. We'll see David. What does David do? Commits adultery with Bathsheba. <coughs> and, and then he says, Oh man, I've done a horrible thing. I, I need to talk to him. I need to talk to him. Um, Uriah and apologize to him and, and make things right. And why are you doing well, that's not what it says, is it? What's he do? He tries to cover up. As a matter of fact, he brings in her husband, Uriah, from the field. He's one of his faithful soldiers out fighting in wars. And David's sleeping with his wife. And so he brings him back to try to trick him into sleeping with her while he's home so he'll think this coming baby is going to be his. How, how deceptive and deceitful is that? And I'm not saying this to defame David because he's a man after God's own heart. But this is the depths that he's sunk to at this point. But what does David eventually do after all this mess is over? I hope you're familiar with all that, that junk and the murder and the, the implicating his own staff and, and killing Uriah. Anyway, what does David do when Nathan says, You're the man? He really repents. And there's, there's somehow kind of a difference between David's repentance and Saul's repentance. I think Saul's repentance was pragmatic. Okay, I'm caught. I'm in trouble. I can't get out of this, so okay, I said kind of a thing. Not, I don't know that, but just reading the text and hearing what God says about these two men. I rejected Saul, but David's a man after my own heart. And I saw that after my own heart. And he's a man. By the way, is God still looking for people? who are after his heart. What does Jesus say? Those who worship God will worship him in spirit and truth. And he says, Jesus says, God is seeking such to worship. He's looking for those who worship him. If that's what you want to do, if you really are enamored with God, and you 
You have loved and appreciate him. He's looking for you. He wants to get together with you because you see in him. It's kind of like, well, this is a, a way lower illustration, but you, you go to a museum and you see a piece of art. Oh, man, that is, I am so impressed. I could never do anything like that. What would it be to, like if, if the artist walked up and you could meet the artist? Now, I know sometimes it's disappointing, but, <laughs> but, but the idea is somebody who could do that, I would like to meet them. I'd like to see them. People who have the mind to create, uh, the mind to do, those are the people that we are attracted to because that character in their nature is so splendid. We, we want something of that. Unless, unless we're one of those people who tends to look at something like that and instead of appreciating it, we get jealous. Well, I can't do that. But that must not be very important because I can't do that. And there are people like that. They, it, it's, it's a fear. It's an insecurity. And Saul had some fears and insecurities. That's why he followed the people instead of God. Well, well we kind of got a little farther in the text, didn't we? Uh, we got down, we read down through verse 23, and now it's over. <laughs> well, Lord willing, we'll pick up, with their, pick up from there next week. Uh, appreciate you all. Thank you for the good discussion.